0: Welcome to Risk Watch, a podcast brought to you by v Global that sheds light on emerging compliance and due diligence issues affecting private market investors, financial institutions, and global corporations. I'm your host, Alex Soren. On this episode of the podcast, Evan Abrams, an associate at Steptoe & Johnson, who advises clients on issues related to anti-money laundering and anti-corruption, among other things, came on the show to discuss FinCEN's recent proposed rule targeting digital asset mixers. The rule is part of an effort by the Department of Treasury to crack down on cryptocurrency anonymity services, such as digital asset mixers, which can be used as a money laundering tool by rogue states, terrorist organizations and criminals. You can find a link in the show notes to Evan's bio and contact information, as well as a link to an overview that SEPTO published on the proposed rule. I had a great time talking to him and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, we're live. Thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. So to kick things off, it'd be helpful if you could provide some background on how digital asset mixers work and how they've been used by illicit actors in the past.
1: Sure. So I think the important thing to keep in mind when thinking about mixers is that for at least most digital assets, there's a public blockchain. And so it's fairly easy to trace where transactions are moving And with a little bit of additional information, you can often tell who's behind the movements and really follow the funds around the blockchain from kind of wallet to wallet as transactions occur. The difference for a mixer is that it's designed to break up or obfuscate the ability to follow transactions using the public blockchain. And it can do that in a number of different ways. It might, for example, pool or aggregate funds into a single wallet so that It's difficult for somebody to see exactly which transactions coming out of that wallet are associated with transfers that came in. Uh, It might involve changing digital assets. So you move from one blockchain to another, uh, often called chain hopping. There's a number of ways that, that these can work. But essentially, it involves trying to obfuscate or disrupt the ability of somebody to follow digital assets using information that's publicly available on the blockchain.
0: Okay, and, and and so with that in mind, it is kind of a go-to tool for, you know, like rogue states, criminals, money launderers because you can hide you know where where the money's coming from.
1: Yes, that's right. There's a number of reasons that one might use a mixer. There's certainly a number of licit or legitimate reasons that one might do that. If you think about, for example, dissidents in in a country, journalists who are in locations where the government doesn't want them to be able to operate, general privacy concerns. But there are also hackers, ransomware, all kinds of bad actors who have used these type of mixers to move assets around. And the goal is really just to disrupt the ability of law enforcement, of regulators to see where the assets are moving and, and try to disrupt what these bad actors are doing.
0: And to clarify, digital asset mixers are illegal in the United States?
1: Well, it's a good question. In theory, you could probably have a compliant one, but it would, it would involve having quite a bit of kind of centralized compliance that's associated with it. And so it would probably, in the eyes of, of people who want to use one of these mixers, undermine the utility of it because the centralized act would have to collect a lot of information. So it's a little bit hard to say categorically whether they're prohibited or or they're allowed, but certainly a number of of these types of mixtures would have difficulty meeting the compliance obligations that are imposed by the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network within the Treasury Department and other regulators.
0: So I guess to kind of like take a step back and visualize it for people who aren't familiar with you know, the crypto world and how it works, describe for us you know, what this looks like in, in a real-world scenario. You have a user on a crypto exchange platform that I think most people know you know what those are. are they, during like the, the Bitcoin boom, everybody was buying some. And then they would essentially send money to a foreign digital asset mixer, it sounds like, in most, in most scenarios. Is that what we're looking at?
1: it can be a little bit tough to say where some of these mixers are located. Some of them are fairly clearly located in a non-US jurisdiction. Some of them are decentralized or quasi-decentralized in a way that it would be a little bit difficult to point to a specific jurisdiction and say, that's where that mixer is located. But to answer your question, that's the right way to think about it. If you think about Take the example of, a, of somebody who was a ransomware actor and, and received a bunch of money via a ransom. They would generally look for a way to be able to convert the digital assets they received as part of the ransomware into fiat currency so that they can go buy whatever it is they want to buy. And that's difficult to do if it's obvious that the tokens that they have, that the digital assets that they have are the proceeds of ransomware. So once they receive the ransomware in their wallet, they would need to find some way to try to obfuscate or make it unclear where those assets came from, so that they could then go to, uh, say, a traditional exchange and be able to actually convert the digital assets to fiat currency and cash out in that manner. And so they would probably receive the assets in a wallet. They would, and they may go to a traditional exchange. They may go somewhere else. But that's the general kind of flow that that would happen. Go to a mixer, go through that mixer, and then take the tokens they received on the other side.
0: Okay, that's helpful. So at a high level, what is the FinCEN proposed rule seeking to do?
1: Sure, so the FinCEN proposed rule is seeking to impose record-keeping and reporting obligations on U.S. financial institutions for transactions that have a touchpoint with these digital asset mixers. And it's using an authority from the USA PATRIOT Act, in in Section 311 of that act, which allows FinCEN to impose additional requirements on either classes of transactions or foreign jurisdictions or foreign institutions that are deemed to be of primary money laundering concern. And this is actually the first time that FinCEN has found a class of transactions to be a primary money laundering concern. But essentially, what they've said is that these type of CVC or convertible virtual currencies, to use their parlance, CVC mixing transactions are a class of transactions of primary money laundering concern, and is part of their effort to combat the risk that arises from that. They're seeking to impose additional record-keeping and reporting requirements on U.S. financial institutions.
0: And when they do that, would that kind of take the form of, would one of the results of that be the traditional SAR type of notice?
1: It's a good question. So this would be in addition to the SAR, the Suspicious Activity Reporting Filing Obligations that financial institutions have. And In some ways, you might argue that it's a little bit redundant with that obligation. But this would be a separate reporting requirement with separate information that these financial institutions would have to collect and would probably go beyond what would be captured just with a SAR in a couple of respects. I think one, with respect to some of the data fields that are required to be reported. And then two, the proposed rule is quite broad. And so, at least as proposed, it would probably capture a lot of transactions that might not be flagged as suspicious by a digital asset exchange, and so might not necessarily go or result in a SAR being filed. Certainly, if there's a direct transaction to a platform that's known to be a popular mixer for bad actors, probably that's going to be flagged by most financial institutions and a SAR will be filed. But the way this proposed rule is drafted, it would capture that activity, but it would capture a a whole range of other activity that involves mixers as defined in the rule, but a lot of platforms that most people in the industry wouldn't traditionally think of as mixers, platforms that are just decentralized exchanges or other decentralized protocols, for example.
0: How does it work in terms of you know the way you're describing it, it sounds like it's gonna create Just mountains of more information in FinCEN's databases, you know, on top of what they already have. And my understanding with SARS is like that is kind of the way it works, anyways. You know, it's not, it doesn't seem to me that the exchanges that this applies to are going to file a notice and that FinCEN's going to look at that and be like, all right, let's take action. It's more that one day when they're building a case or when they really need to do a a deeper dive investigation into something that's much larger, they have all this information in their databases. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it. There have been increased efforts in recent years for FinCEN and law enforcement to review SARS as they are submitted, as they come in. But it doesn't always happen, and a lot of times... Where SARS really become useful to law enforcement is later on when they're investigating something, they go to look and see if any SARS have been filed that deal with the person that they're investigating, and then they are able to use that as an investigative tool. So for most SARS that are filed, if the financial institution submits it, they'll may never hear anything about it. I would say that's the case for for the vast majority. Of SARS that are filed, for some small percentage, you may hear something, you know, months or even years later if it becomes relevant to an ongoing investigation. But it's not the case, generally speaking, that you would file a SAR and then you would fairly quickly hear from FinCEN or somebody in law enforcement about the SAR that was filed.
0: I've seen some media uh, coverage of other uh, proposed rule summarize the action as as you know, the Treasury Department designating foreign cryptocurrency mixing services as money launderers and national security threats. Is that too harsh of a of a generalization or is that at the heart of what this is?
1: Well I think the the difficulty in the proposed rule is how broadly they define CVC mixers and and CVC mixing. It certainly covers protocols that I think most people in the industry would agree are problematic or used by bad actors. And as I was saying before, that if they identified a transaction involving their platform going to or from one of those protocols, they would probably file a SAR. But the proposed rule defines CBC mixing so broadly that it really includes most decentralized platforms, decentralized exchanges, decentralized lending protocols, all kinds of activity that is occurring for legitimate purposes. And so it is painting in a broad brush in that way by sweeping in all of these platforms that most people wouldn't look at and say, yes, that's a mixer or that's a, a platform that we flagged as is being used by bad actors. So it's it's quite over inclusive in that respect.
0: And then you know the language that that they use you know, it says financial institutions or financial agencies. Are, are we essentially referring to, in terms of the, the organizations that are going you know, to have to implement record-keeping and, and notification requirements, are we referring to anyone beyond crypto exchanges?
1: Yes, I think crypto exchanges are going to be the entities that are most impacted here. Most of them are registered with FinCEN as a money services business, which is a type of financial institution under the anti-money laundering laws and and statutes. But they can be registered or or regulated as a number of other types of of financial institutions. So there are increasingly crypto companies that have banking licenses, for example. But financial institution would include banks, broker-dealers. It would include a wide range of Actors that fall under the definition of financial institution in the Bank Secrecy Act, which underpins the FinCEN regulations and then in the regulations themselves. Uh, Of course, a lot of those entities don't deal with digital assets or deal with it only very tangentially. And so while this rule might technically apply to them, it wouldn't really have an impact on what they're doing. But. Certainly for most digital asset exchanges or, or other digital asset companies that are either registered as a money services business or are another type of, of financial institution, this is going to be pretty impactful for those entities.
0: So there's a lot to unpack when it comes to you know what, what they're asking those entities to do if the rule was to go forward. One thing that I noticed was, you know, the classic take a risk-based approach when implementing the rule language. You know, take us behind the scenes to, you know, an exchange for an example, and what the process could look like of, you know, when they flag a transaction or a series of transactions. So why would something be flagged and what comes next, you know, on, on their end in terms of taking a closer look at who that person is, any sort of, you know, enhanced investigation that they do on their end. I'm interested to know more about that.
1: Sure. So most of these exchanges or other digital asset companies use fairly sophisticated blockchain analytics software. And there are some free versions of this that are out there, but most of them will have a subscription with a company that provides fairly sophisticated tools to monitor transactions. And so the way that this would happen, most likely, is that that software would be used to follow transactions coming into the platform and out of the platform to see if they are going to a mixer or a wallet address that's known to be associated with a mixer. And in certain cases, you may not know. But, but part of what these analytics companies do is go out and try to identify the wallets that are associated with various platforms. So in many cases, you may know, and you would get an alert from this analytics tool indicating that transaction went to a CDC mixer. That would then trigger the obligation to compile the various pieces of information that you need and then to submit the report. And then you would also want to think about, does this warrant further action on the part of the platform? And this is where the risk-based piece comes in of what this individual was interacting with a mixer, what do we need to do now, most of these platforms will have specific investigative steps they typically take. So that might involve reviewing the the know your customer information they collected at the outset when they opened the account, might involve going back and looking at the transaction history of the user to see if there were other suspicious activity that was occurring. And all of that would go into a consideration of, whether to file a suspicious activity report, whether to stop servicing the customer or to subject the customer to ongoing enhanced monitoring. A number of steps that you could take <laughs> as a result of that.
0: i interested to get your take on the result of the Hamas attack on, on Israel on October 7th, and then this rule being issued a couple weeks later. My understanding is that something like this has been in the works for a long time, but did that attack add any urgency to it?
1: So I think it certainly did add urgency just based on the public statements from FinCEN when this proposed rule was published. Their press release about the rule, for example, they cite Hamas as, as an organization that has used CVC mixers. So it does seem to be something that was in part driving this, and as you said, probably added urgency to it. But given the the amount of thought that typically goes into these proposed rules and the time that it takes behind the scenes for the agencies to put this together and get everyone aligned and and get the language right, you know, it would have been in the works for a while before, before that attack by Hamas. And so it's been ongoing, I think, and we've seen other indications from various parts of the government that CBC mixing is, is something that they are particularly focused on and, and found to be of concern. So in some ways, this is a culmination of a number of other actions that have been taken, both from an anti-money laundering perspective and then increasingly from an economic sanctions perspective as well. We've seen that tool used quite a bit to target some of these mixing platforms.
0: So to wrap up, could you touch on the dilemma, the proposed rule, creates in that it seems like organizations that it applies to may just stop dealing with mixtures altogether because of the compliance burden, but as you pointed out, you know it seems like there are significant pros to using those services for you know certain people or organizations you know whether it's privacy or you're a journalist you know or any other you know reason that that wouldn't be you know illicit
1: yeah it's going to be I think, a challenge for companies to implement for a number of reasons. You've got to make sure you're collecting the right pieces of information. Some platforms may already do that. Some may not collect all those pieces of information. Even if you have them, then you've got to find a way to compile them. So you may collect them, but they may be in disparate parts of the company. So you would have to have either an IT tool or have to do it manually where you're compiling this information. You would then, of course, have to submit the report itself. There could be quite a Bit of effort that's involved here. And some companies may decide that the easiest thing to do is not accept deposits or withdrawals from their platform that go to CVC mixers. And again, because the CVC mixing is defined so broadly, that's going to include a lot of decentralized exchanges and other DeFi protocols. I think most companies in the US who are registered with FinCEN would already take the view that they would prohibit direct transfers from what we would traditionally think of as mixers. But given the breadth of this, you may see that expand. So companies that traditionally said, we're not going to allow deposits from what people in the industry would have thought of as a mixer, now to expand that further and say, well, we're not going to allow deposits from any of these DeFi protocols or or any of these decentralized protocols just because it will lower the compliance burden for them. Of course, there's a lot of utility for users to be able to move tokens from a US exchange or another platform over to one of these DeFi platforms. So you may see companies continue to allow that just because their, their users are requesting it, but there's certainly a tension there between the functionality that you allow on the platform and the increased compliance burden that can come along
0: with that. Look, it's been really interesting. For anyone interested in getting in touch with you, your information is going to be in the show notes, a link to your bio and contact information for organizations that could need your help. And there'll also be a link to the piece that that you co-authored on the Steptoe website. So thanks so much for coming on. It's been great to talk to you.
1: Sure, thank you very much. Enjoyed the conversation and great to be with you.